Okay, Roxy. So this week's episode is about church, and it seems fitting that I would start with a confession. Like in a confession booth? More like in a recording booth. (laughs) Right, right. And actually, my confession is about church. Let me guess. You don't always make it. I occasionally worship at the Church of the Holy Comforter. (laughs) I get that. Sunday mornings come early and church is a subway ride away. Exactly. But you should visit my church sometime. I really do love it. Maybe we do like a church exchange sometime. I'm totally up for that as long as I can come in my pajamas. Okay, maybe you can watch our online service. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women making our way in New York, pursuing our dreams without losing our devotion. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. Here on Saved by the City, we want to upend the idea that God is nowhere to be found in God. So obviously for Christians, going to church is a big deal. Yeah, the whole body of Christ thing is hard to pull off without our bodies actually being in the same space together. Right, and other traditions like Judaism and Islam teach that in-person worship is a core part of faith. There's definitely something about gathering together in a space at a particular time that reminds me, anyway, that like it's not just me and God in this thing alone. Mm -hmm. I'm tied to these other people in real, sometimes even mystical ways. Which is why bad experiences in church are particularly painful because these are supposed to be your brothers and sisters, people who are like family to you. Yeah, so those wounds go deep. We're hearing a lot these days about what to do when church hurts like hell. Yeah, whether people have faced abuse, manipulation, racist and sexist attitudes, even just pastoral negligence, a lot more people really are talking about religious trauma right now and recognizing it as a real thing. We're going to hear a lot from today's guest about religious trauma, what it is, why it's uniquely hard to address, and how to start healing from it. But first, I thought we should probably talk about some of our own experiences in church. Gosh, where to start? I mean, as I said, I really love the church that I'm in right now. And part of that is the community. It is a lot of people who I think have come from similar places. Honestly, it's a church full of a lot of people who have been hurt by church. But I think the reason that I've stayed in church for as long as I have, as in pretty much my whole life with some specific instances of taking a break. Which we'll get to. Yes. (laughs) But I mean, I think part of the reason is because my overall experiences have been really positive and because I grew up in a church that felt very loving. Yeah, I resonate with that. You Growing up in like a mega church hopeful kind of Mm -hmm. congregation, I can look back and critique more cultural elements Mm -hmm. of it. But I think what sticks now is just the sense that the leaders and the congregants loved Jesus and loved each other. And I feel grateful that for the most part, I have been in churches where that has continued to be true. I also think having pastors be available, Mm -hmm. spiritually mature, grounded, humble, (laughs) has gone a really long way. You know, I think when church leaders who kind of claim to be this representation of Christ— in the church are obviously not acting Christ-like. There's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. Yes. We keep hearing a lot of these stories of people who have been abused in these cultures in really, really shattering ways. 
And so many of them were really young when it happened and were surrounded by people, including family members who sometimes didn't know, you know, that what was going on, but they were holding these pastors, these spiritual leaders up as like a voice of God, as an authority to follow. And I think that as as a young person or as, as a young person, maybe even in faith, not necessarily in age, like it can be very hard then to separate that from a positive feeling about God or a positive feeling mm-hmm. about church. Right. I also think about why it's so much harder when there is something really wrong in a church environment to speak up because then you think, but I'm going against the group. I'm going against the community. What if I speak out about something that happened to me and I'm rejected or I'm cast out, essentially? It's just a lot to lose, you know? Yeah. And people have invested so much in that community. And for for some people, like, that's all the community that they have. My college church was this way in a lot of ways, like, really encouraged, even pressured people to only really have friends within the church community. It was everything to you. These were the people that you were hanging out Mm -hmm. with all of the time. These were the people that you were doing Bible studies with, but it was also the people that you were, like, hanging out with on a Friday night. And it was an an incredibly, Mm -hmm. like, enmeshed community and mm-hmm. and it was unhealthy in a lot of ways that I recognize now but at the time it felt great like it was like I have all mm-hmm. of these friends and we have this sense of purpose together you know we're on a mission together for God and mm-hmm. it and it gave my life such a sense of meaning and my community such a sense of cohesion but it was true that when it fell apart it hurt Whew. A lot. And it was hard Mm -hmm. to uh, lost a lot of those friendships. Mm -hmm. So when it falls apart, it sounds like there have been times when you have stepped away from church or taken a break. What precipitated those breaks and how did you feel about stepping away from church? I stepped away for a while um, in my mid-20s and in part because of that experience, Like I tried all these other churches after that and none of them had like, I missed that so much. Mm. And so it felt like every church sort of felt like it was lacking compared to that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I did need a break for a while, but I think at that age, I didn't feel good about it. Like I felt a lot of shame about not going to church and a lot of, a lot of emptiness in terms of like, I was like, I can't connect with. God, I, I'm sinning. Like uh, it was really, those were, that was really hard for me. And I felt like when I went to church, I was miserable. And then when I wasn't going to church, I felt all of this guilt. So, so not a great season. I would <laughs> it was think. tough. It was a tough, it was a tough time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. God, I'm came out of it, but it was a really tough time. What about you? Have you felt like there was a time when you just really needed to step away from church? Yeah, the one time that comes to mind in my senior year of college, I went through the most intense time of depression Mm -hmm. and seemingly out of the blue. I couldn't point you to a specific Mm -hmm. event that precipitated it. Um, The only way I knew how to interpret what was going on at the time was that it was all spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so I would like go to the chapel on campus, like pray for hours and like confess all the sins I could possibly think of thinking like, 
I'm depressed because I've done something so wrong. And then I would come out and feel worse, you mm -hmm. know, because I still felt bad. Mm -hmm. It was a very dark time. And I went to church to get like healing prayer. And I think he really meant well. I didn't know the person who prayed with me. Man, I, I feel very stressed out about this already. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I, and I was so desperate that I was like, I will receive prayer from, from anybody mm -hmm. because I don't know what else to do. And he like laid his hands on my shoulders and like prayed in this really intense, uh -huh. Uh -huh. almost like he was trying to cast something out of me. Yeah. And in that moment, I felt like this is not right. This doesn't feel right at all. Yeah. This feels, I don't know if it's manipulative or just not what I need, or I feel all this pressure to like, anyway, I stopped going to church after that. I remember walking mm -hmm. out, just praying, like, I can't, I give up, you know? Um, and I think I, I took a break because I didn't actually need more like religion. Mm -hmm. I kind of just needed grace. I kind of mm -hmm. just needed to go like go out to dinner with some friends and talk mm -hmm. about something normal and, you know, go for a walk. Like I didn't need this religious fix, you mm -hmm. know? And the only way I came out of that was that I eventually went to the nurse on campus and she prescribed wow. 20 milligrams yeah. of Lexapro and within a couple of weeks, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, yeah, that's what this was. It was not, it was, you know, it was a chemical imbalance mm -hmm. in my brain. But it should also be noted that people can be in church for wrong reasons. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I know that I have gone out of social pressure. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. And then like, you know, recounted the plot of the movie Bridesmaids in my head the whole time I was sitting there. <laughs> okay. I mean, of all movies, Of all right? movies, yeah. Or like there was a group of young people at this Episcopal church that I was at for a long time in Chicago where, you know, we took communion every week. But I swear, like, we would go out to Chipotle after church and I would be sitting there like getting ready to receive communion. But instead I was thinking about like guac. <laughs> Like, I hadn't eaten breakfast. And it was like, Caitlin! You're like, this communion wafer's really dry and stale and boring. Why doesn't somebody dip it in guac? <laughs> yeah, so I can certainly say I have been at church, but I haven't really been at church. You know? And maybe at the end of the day, we would say, well, what matters is that, like, you just showed up. But I certainly think church has to be more than that in the long run. I think there are people who go to church for wrong reasons, and I think there are churches that are not churches. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like we probably both still have that, like, zeal that we grew up with, and it's just coming out <laughs> in different, <laughs> slightly different trajectory now, and that's fine. I'm here for it. <laughs> I think both of us would say that we've had our hearts broken by the church, Big C Church, as well as like the little C local churches that we've been part of. Mm -hmm. We also recognize like there are so many people listening who have experienced horrors in churches from sexual abuse, abuse of minors, terrible racism, gaslighting, wounds that 
are truly trauma and have had long, long lasting effects in terms of how they view God, how you view the church, how you view pastors and other religious leaders. This is the kind of trauma that someone doesn't just get over. It is physical, it's physiological, it's mental, it's spiritual. I think one of the reasons why spiritual abuse is so hard to address is because it affects all of your being. And it's existential. Like you've built Mm -hmm. not only your own life, but your ideas about eternity, about Mm -hmm. the meaning of life. You've built all of these things around a community or a culture and a set of teachings that betrayed you in the form of maybe a person or a, a church. And it can be hard to continue to even believe those things. Like that is such a foundation-shaking kind of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to be talking with someone who's not only experienced church hurt and real religious trauma, but who has dedicated his life to helping other people heal from it. Kyle J. Howard is a trauma-informed soul care provider who counsels other Christians, especially Christians of color, who have been hurt in white evangelical spaces. I define trauma as haunting pain. It's pain that haunts an individual throughout their life. It's not just a kind of a a pain that happens in one specific moment. And we're not talking about like stubbing a toe. We're talking about a a kind of pain that shocks an individual throughout their entire constitution. Our conversation with Kyle is coming right up after we give a warm shout out to the patrons who make all of this possible. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. For the best in global religion reporting, visit religionnews.com. And if you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes a huge difference and helps people find our podcasts. And we love those of you who have left five stars. And they're not just our parents. (laughs) You can also email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com or follow along on Twitter at hashtag SavedByTheCity. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, it was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. We're very honored today to be speaking with Kyle J. Howard joining us from Atlanta. Thanks so much for this conversation, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So we're going to start off on a very light note, which is talking about the work that you do day in and day out with people who have been hurt in religious contexts. How would you describe the work that you do? I'm a trauma-informed soul care provider. What that essentially means is that uh, I am a spiritual coach, guidance counselor. 
But the trauma-informed dynamic means that I'm very much well-versed, well-read and studied in dynamics of trauma, abuse and trauma. I'm not a licensed clinical therapist, and I'm, I don't consider myself a biblical counselor, uh, which mm-hmm. I think has a whole lot of its own issues and problems <laughs> itself. Mm-hmm. As a soul care provider, what I seek to do is provide comprehensive care uh, for people's souls. At the same time, I'm able to work alongside uh, clinical therapists so that someone can have comprehensive flourishing, both the mental health and then the spiritual health side of things. Mm. Again, it's not just looking at things from a hyper-spiritualized perspective, though I guess you could say my emphasis is is spiritual dynamics. There's still very much uh, engagement when it comes to issues related to mental health and trauma and those things. My primary work is providing free uh, trauma-informed soul care to minorities who have been uh, spiritually abused within white evangelical spaces. And not just white evangelical spaces, but I would also say within a a white society. It sounds like your work is super comprehensive, kind of bridging different worlds and neither one or the other, but kind of uh, meeting people in the middle of uh, different intersections of their identity and experience. Yes. Yes, definitely. It seems like a unique role, a unique line of work. I mean, I think maybe we're seeing more people recognizing the need for this kind of work and how spiritual trauma or trauma within spiritual religious environments in today's parlance, how that hits different than, you know, trauma or abuse in other settings. But what brought you to this line of work? What kind of prompted you to go into a very difficult field? Yes, it definitely wasn't on my bingo card for sure. (laughs) (laughs) When I was 12 years old, I began having my first serious bouts with what would later be classified as clinical depression. So suicidal ideations, uh, strong mental health issues, and would go on to about 18 before I was diagnosed as being manic depression, bipolar, as well as ADHD. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for that period of time, in many ways, I hated God. I was somewhat of an atheist, but I believed enough about God to to hate him because of those mental health challenges, because of that constant onslaught with depression. When I was converted and began going to seminary, one of the major things that I really was driving me in seminary was I wanted answers in many ways to what I was struggling with. Fast forward a little bit, my wife and I began experiencing uh, spiritual abuse, mostly me. Uh, It was along the lines of racial abuse, racism, Mm -hmm. as well as just spiritual abuse in regards to gaslighting, manipulation, and just a whole host of things. And that experience left my wife and I in a very, very dark place. For about a year, every time I taught and preached, I did so with with crying. Uh, My wife and I would just sit on our couch just weeping, sitting alone while our children slept. I was helping other people with their trauma, with their abuse, never looking Mm -hmm. in the mirror saying, you are being abused and you are traumatized. Mm -hmm. And so long story short, what ended up happening was uh, I was doing, you know, care, caring for other people. And I, I'm trying to remember the exact moment, but I think I was just I was reading a book on abuse, on trauma. And it kind of just dawned on me that everything that I had been experiencing uh, in regards to the spiritual dynamics of the church, the light just kind of came off. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm being abused. My wife is being abused. Mm-hmm. We're somewhat in a cult. And it just mm-hmm. all kind of just came at one moment. Mm-hmm. After uh, you know a season of healing uh, for myself, for my wife, and everything else, I committed that all the other things, all the other ambitions I had in ministry, nothing trumped the dynamic of not wanting anyone else to have to go through what my wife and I did. 
Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up having to do was taking my expertise in, my, in, in historical theology, taking my experience within biblical counseling, kind of wedding them together and formulating a new methodology and a new philosophy of care, seek to minister to people within that intersection of helping people to deconstruct and decolonize their faith, mm-hmm. as well as minister to broken souls who are trying to heal uh, their relationship with God and the church. From a clinical perspective, how would you define religious trauma? And also, how is it, how and why is it so unique from other kinds of trauma mm-hmm. and uniquely difficult for people? Absolutely. That's, that's a great question. A little bit complex, so bear with me here, <laughs> but uh, it's a great question. I define trauma as haunting pain. It's pain that haunts an individual throughout throughout their life. It's not just a kind of a, a pain that happens in one sp- specific moment, and we're not talking about like stubbing a toe. We're talking about a, a kind of pain that shocks an individual in, throughout their entire constitution. This is where I would say that biblical counseling gets these kinds of things profoundly wrong, and clinical psychology can as well in some respects, where mm-hmm. there can be this compartmentalization that happens of us as image bearers, mm-hmm. where on the clinical side of things, we, there can be a denial of the implications of this on the soul. Uh, as a theologian, I'd emphasize the spiritual side of things or the biblical counseling side, which is often a neglect of the physical realm, mm-hmm. something that happens to us physically, which includes the mind, the brain, that's the part of our physicality, something that happens to the mind will always impact our soul. It will always impact our spirit. Likewise, something that impacts us spiritually will always have psychological impact and physiological impact as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When we think about spiritual trauma or spiritual abuse, that's largely just thought about abuse that happens in the church. And so we kind of relegate spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma just to a the four walls of a church building, mm-hmm. where I would say that when we're talking about spiritual trauma, we're talking about the trauma's impact on the soul. Mm-hmm. Any kind of abuse is going to have a spiritual uh, pain attached to it. In a lot of cases, I think that spiritual trauma is often some of the most profound or most uh deepest kind of trauma that someone can can experience because when it comes to the physical trauma there's dynamics of healing and things that can be done and even medications that can be taken that deal with the physical dynamics when it comes to the mental side of trauma there are certain practices and even within science and certain methodologies that are now aiding in regards to uh, PTSD recovery trauma recovery all those kinds of things but when we're talking about the spiritual trauma what we're talking about is the devastation the haunting devastation that happens to an individual's eternal soul. It's the root of their faith, the root of their hope, uh, the root of their belief. And when we're talking about spiritual trauma, we're talking about an assault on those very foundational and and root ideas and principles. But abuse that is targeting your center for hope, abuse that Mm -hmm. is targeting the center Mm -hmm. and your foundations of faith, it's a kind of abuse that is seeking to destroy who you are at your very essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's trying to uh, devastate you in your most foundational and fundamental aspects of who you are. Mm-hmm. This summer, I've been reading a lot about spiritual abuse, in part because of some news stories that have come out. And as a religion journalist, I, I feel like I have to read about the dark, <laughs> dark things yeah. to understand, like, why is this happening? What are the marks of a toxic church culture? And you hear a lot of people say, like, we stayed too long. You know, looking back, it was like a cult or looking back, we were being manipulated by our leaders, but we should have left a long time ago. Why can it be hard to escape 
toxic religious cultures? Why why do people find it hard to leave at the right time? Yeah, absolutely. So I, th- I think there's a couple reasons for that. The chief among them would be the same things that we would consider when we think about other abusive relationships. There is a dynamic with abuse with, with regards to what it does to a person's psyche where they they even they latch on to their abusers as mm-hmm. even as a coping mechanism for the abuse. They in many ways romanticize their abuser. Hmm. Oftentimes when we're talking about a spiritually abusive church, we are 100% talking about a cult. Mm -hmm. And so one of the dynamics you find in abusive churches is going to be, you know, alienation. It's going to be isolation. Mm -hmm. The fear of such profound loss keeps Mm -hmm. people connected even Mm -hmm. when they should have left. And the same thing happens in these churches where it's if I leave, I lose everything. I I, I lose my faith family. Mm -hmm. I lose sometimes Mm -hmm. careers, jobs, my um, sometimes maybe even lose my faith because it's because the church. Church has been made synonymous with Christianity. So it's right. like if I leave this church, I'm leaving the religion. What makes them leave is when they have to decide whether or not they're going to stay or die. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Mm-hmm. The suicidal ideations have kicked in. They feel like the only thing that they can do is either take their own life or they need to flee. And it's when they get to that bubbling point where everything is about to completely crumble that they say, I have to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one of the reasons why even on social media I've said that spiritual abuse is like attempted murder because the dynamics there is you, uh, people are attacking your, your foundations of faith, your foundations of belief, your foundations of hope and all these things. They are seeking to kill you in the most fundamental areas. Mm-hmm. When you're working with people in particular around church wounds, what are some of the most common ones that you see, the experiences that people are bringing to you that have really have have created this kind of lasting like damage to to both their faith and their soul as you said absolutely and the the book that i'm currently writing right now is addressing that specifically the the working title right now is when the church becomes a trigger and Mm. and what i'm Mm. doing chapter by chapter is walking through the various aspects of church spiritual life that have become triggering to those who have spiritual trauma helping them understand why it's triggering Mm -hmm. and then hoping to help them heal from that it's it's important to understand that one of the way in which our our minds seek to protect us from compounding trauma is to uh creating things that we call trauma triggers mm-hmm. and so when someone's been abused it's important to understand the context of that abuse to understand the various trauma triggers that they have within certain situations the word of god is supposed to be nourishment to your soul it's supposed to be a bomb uh to your heart when the when the word of god is weaponized is used to destroy rather than build up then when you hear preaching preaching is not something that you're now like hey i'm going getting fed it's becomes more synonymous with choking of someone right. trying to shove food down your throat in order to kill you, not trying to nourish your body. When worship is not something that leads you to God and leads you into deeper devotion to God, but rather worship was something to control. And the words that were used in worship that are supposed to be exalting God were also meant to exalt the pastor or their version of God who was actually more oppressive than liberating. Then worship becomes triggering. Mm-hmm. What are some other spiritual practices that you recommend for people who really can't go to church right now because it is too triggering or it's, you know, it, it still feels like an abusive environment or an oppressive environment to them? How do you help people connect with God and with their faith when Sunday morning worship is just too painful? 
first and foremost, I want to just give affirmation and confirmation that there is absolutely a time and space uh, where church can be too much for someone. God des- desires us to be joyful and free in our worship and our fellowship with them. Many believe that the only way that I can come to God is through reading the Bible. The only way I can come to God is through, say, even the mm-hmm. Lord's Prayer. The only way I can come is through collective worship and all these things. And so what mm-hmm. I would want to say is that when things become triggering because of the way that they've been used against you, you are not obligated to use those specific things when they do not bring you closer to God, mm-hmm. but actually end up just hurting you physically and mentally and spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Worship and devotion is supposed to, to be healing. It's not supposed to be harming you. Mm-hmm. So what must be done is looking into or investigating new ways of cultivating your spirituality and cultivating your relationship with God. Try going for a walk and looking at the various aspects of nature uh, and the, the things that your father has created and the, the various aspects of beauty that God has created, whether it be a walk, whether it be the arts, whether it be painting, music, all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. There are ways in which you can recapture faith uh, so that it is, it is vibrant and directly connecting you with God rather than it becoming a hindrance. Yeah, what I hear you saying, Kyle, is that God doesn't have like a checklist of requirements for how we can connect with God. Like God is always already so much more available to us than we might expect. And so I hear you encouraging people to move toward the practices that really bear fruit, like move towards the places that really do offer healing and freedom and experience of God's care and love. Given all that you and your wife have been through, specifically Mm -hmm. in the church, how do you stay a Christian? My theology hasn't changed. The only Mm -hmm. thing that has changed for me is that I've become to greater measures of awareness that not many people actually believe what they espouse. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. (laughs) And so when it comes to the pastoral ministry, when it comes to the doctrine of the church, I still find myself in many ways in a place where I'm like, I actually believe in these things. Mm -hmm. The issue of my big hangup is that it doesn't seem to me that I could ever pastor because what I believe a pastor should be is not what a pastor is based upon everything that I've seen and witnessed and experienced and, and heard about how pastors move. How I stay a Christian is because honestly, my theology as a historical theologian who studied the North African patristics as my concentration I can read Augustine's Trinity book on the Trinity and I'm like, amen on every page. I can read all these various books throughout the church ages that deal with Christian orthodoxy and everything else and say, I genuinely believe this. My issue is not with Christianity. I don't have an issue with Jesus. Um, I've never considered leaving Jesus because Jesus is the reason why we've been through everything that we've been through. Mm-hmm. I've never considered leaving Jesus because my love for Jesus and even my love for the church is why I have experienced all I've experienced from the church and Mm -hmm. from those who claim Christ. And so I've never really felt that leaving Jesus was on the line. It was always a matter of does this system or do these ideas match with my beloved Savior? Mm -hmm. And they don't. And so I'm going to just stick with my Savior. Thank you so much. I've learned so much listening to you and also have felt 
a lot of resonance with some of my own experiences. And I know that a lot of our listeners will as well. So thank you so yeah, much. Thank for you for your time. Joining and us and for giving us, uh, giving of your time so generously. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, it's been a privilege, ladies. I, I'm thankful. Thank you. For those of you interested in learning more about Kyle's work, you can find him on Twitter at Kyle James Howard. He's also got two podcasts, Quorum Dio podcast and the Soul Care podcast. And you can support his work providing free trauma-informed soul care to people of color who have survived spiritual abuse. Visit patreon.com slash Kyle J. Howard. All right. So as I mentioned, I felt a lot of guilt not going to church during certain seasons in my life when maybe I didn't need to. And so one of the things I really appreciated was that Kyle gave permission and said it's okay to skip church. Right. Like, probably not for the reasons I skip church, which is, again, to stay in the aforementioned pajamas, but more like... Grant yourself grace. <laughs> Thank you, sister. <laughs> but more imagining ways to connect with God when church is physically, mentally too painful, imagining ways that we can still connect with God, even if we're not in a church building. So what would you do instead? Like, how would you connect with God on a Sunday when you're not in church? It's funny you should ask. I thought it would be fun to design a perfect Sabbath sans church. Oh. What if we had one free Sunday, we weren't starting off at church, but we still wanted to take the day to connect with God in different ways. What would you do? How would it start? Okay. And maybe more importantly, when would it start? (laughs) Well, I do actually prefer to get up early on Sundays when I can make it happen. So I would try to start early. And when you say early, what do you mean? I don't know, like seven or eight. That's so great for you. (laughs) That is so not early by a lot of people's standards. I'm not I'm not catching the sunrise. (laughs) That's true. You know, the more we talk, I realize like some of the best days have started with like a really early, yeah. you know, like if you're camping or yeah. you're hiking or you're traveling, like it's hard for me to do it. But then when I do it, I'm like, actually, I get why more people do this. Yeah, so. since, since we're just imagining an ideal day, we'll say we'll, we'll yes. start it early. And I would start it with a walk, holding a nice warm cup of coffee and being probably in Riverside Park looking at the river and just looking at it (laughs) and trying to (laughs) empty my mind you know trying to Mm -hmm. really experience the the river and also just kind of what comes to me in those moments instead of coming to it with a lot of thoughts or a lot of anxiety Mm. or a lot of like what am I going to do what is this you know like really trying Mm -hmm. to in in a prayerful way (laughs) trying to be open to Mm -hmm. the awe or the wonder or the beauty or the stillness or quiet or whatever I can experience by the riverside obviously a lot of people just moving our bodies Mm -hmm. makes us feel good Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't do yoga very much, but the intentionality of it, I think, is very grounding. It's something that Mm -hmm. when I do it, I'm like, oh, I see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do really feel more centered, more in tune, more grateful for my body, you know, and I think that leads a lot of people to naturally give thanks to God for the bodies that God has given us. I agree. 
I think my ideal Sabbath day would include some kind of very intentional, I'm going to say intentional a lot, because I actually think that's just such a key part of making sure it like feels like a special day and not just like, oh, I'm just, it's just a weekend day. What about intentional fun? Actually, that's just what I was going to (laughs) say. It's so easy to think that, oh, to be spiritual, it's all of this seriousness. But I actually think one of the things that, at least for me, is so often missing from my own life because because <laughs> you're is a heavy. really stressed out editor at religion news service and the world is on fire all the time. Exactly. Uh, but joy and just fun is often missing. And I think we, you know, we have a tendency to be like, oh, let's go, you know, like, let's go pray and be serious or mm-hmm. church is mm-hmm. it's very somber. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, for me that uh, it probably involves food or being with friends. I I could see a lot of different things, a lot of ways to do that. But I do think something about delight, like what would what would make you feel Mm -hmm. delight in a healthy Mm -hmm. way? I think there are ways we could just be like, I'm just going to go binge pizza all day because that gives me delight. But like maybe you would feel like crap afterwards, (laughs) you know, so. But that's that's my intentional fun. So who? how dare you take that away from me? No, I, I know what you're saying. There's something about I think you know, a key part of intentional fun is Mm -hmm. with other people. One of the most fun things I've ever done in New York was like a month before everything Mm -hmm. shut down last year. And some friends invited me to a karaoke marathon with people I didn't even know. Oh my God. That's like my idea of hell. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me have this. Um, I will. You can have it all to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) They had rented the room from like one to eight and we got there at three. So this was like five hours straight of singing. And I mean, I love group singing. I love singing like dumb pop songs in a group. And I swear to you afterwards, I felt so Mm -hmm. joyous Mm -hmm. and I knew that it was silly, you know, like we were singing Madonna and the killers and Prince, but I I felt so joyous and full and I don't want to say that like church should be like karaoke, but that was, there was something. Please extend this metaphor into a think piece. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there, I think maybe what it was, was like the group singing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also the vulnerability of Mm -hmm. getting up and Mm -hmm. singing dumb lyrics in front of each other. So that I, I, it will be a long time before I forget that. That's amazing. Experience. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way about <laughs> team sports, for example. Like, I love playing, like, basketball or volleyball. And I feel like that's a time when I get to feel just, like, delight and silliness and also camaraderie and just all of those aspects. Mm-hmm. Of, like, it's all childlike. It's very childlike. So reconnecting with mm. some of those aspects of just that, that freedom that you feel to be fun and silly. And obviously, you know, having someone over for a meal. Cooking a meal for someone. Yeah. Well, I was thinking more like having someone cook it for me. That too. Um, but putting aside specific spiritual experiences in church, mm-hmm. some of the most meaningful conversations, evenings, connective times with other people have been over a shared meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of us, that's probably ultimately what we want mm-hmm. in a church mm-hmm. is to share something together that's beautiful, that's nourishing, where like conversation can linger and people can feel known and safe. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how I would end my special Sabbath without church. 
like having a ton of people over for dinner. Yeah, I think I, I think that is also how I would conclude my Sabbath day would be in that spirit of community and connection. And then I think I would go to bed and I would take just a brief few minutes and practice intentional gratitude for the day, for the people, for the food, for all of these things that I hope would have given me life and connection. I don't think I can improve upon that. So ditto. (laughs) Sounds like a good day. Stay by the City is a Religion News Service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. And we get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham. Chaz Rousseau put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Caitlin Beatty and Roxy Stone. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. We were pretty close on that one.